thing on. Fourth of July, Fourth of July, I'm liberated, I'm soaring high, a flying fortress dropping flowers in your sky. Above the crowds You are the rainbow Slicing through their thunder clouds Fourth of July Fourth of July Spark in your eye Made the skyrockets fly On this time in the day Kiss me It's good to see you. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, it is. And you look somehow better and younger than ever. Oh, we both, this is us. How do you We're, do it? How do you do it, darling? Please we got, tell me. You know, I literally, it's it's horrible. I don't know if you saw that post. I figured out we've we've known each other five decades. Five de I think it was before that. We have this argument every time. I, th I think I knew you before 88. Okay, but, so maybe it was 86, but I mean, you know. It, it was it was pretty close in there. And we didn't look that different than we look now. Kinda. It's 30, 35 years. It's a long time. But, you know, but when you figure 80s, 90s, 2000s, 210s, 220s, it's five different decades of that time. It is five different decades. That is true. It's five different decades of time. So let's talk, before before we go back in time. Let, let's talk about this because this is pretty hot stuff that you got going this Fourth of July, and Ooh. this is this is brand new, brand spanking new from uh, Wicked Cool Records. Wicked Cool Wicked Records, Temple. Little Stevens uh, on, uh, label, right? He plays it on the Underground Garage. It was coolest song in the world uh, back in well, actually on Fourth of July. Oh, it already was the coolest song in the world. Oh, baby. Okay, so because you sent me a private link, I'm thinking this hasn't been a thing yet. Oh, no, okay. I, what I sent you was, uh, that was my promo guy at the labels uh, copy. Okay. Was, uh, it was easy. 
told she asked me for a bio and you know i'm so lazy i'm like i'm not gonna write a new one and my <laughs> no, promo right. guy wrote a very nice one so i just copied and pasted that's so, good yeah it's been out since uh the fourth of july i wouldn't release it in the fall makes uh, good sense <laughs> <laughs> how many you've had a lot of coolest songs in the world how many how many is this now i haven't i can't even count yeah uh, it's, it's a lot you count all the different bands that i've been had coolest songs with with Mark Rivera, the song I uh, did that Ringo plays drums on, uh, Money, Money, Money from Mark Rivera's album. Uh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, a, a number of New York Dolls songs, a number of Michael Monroe songs. Yeah, but your own songs. I can't even count. So there's those three artists that have had multiple cool songs. My own, I've had OK DJ. Uh, gimme, Gimme, Rock get, Away. Somebody get, uh, get their head kicked in. Gimme, Gimme, Rock Away. Uh, uh, doll, uh, um, recovery doll, uh, recovery doll. Sexy those sexy lies. Yeah, and, and Fourth of July now. There are a few others from the Bronx Cheer album too. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this is this is good likes, stuff. I guess he likes me. I guess he likes you. How, how did your relationship with Little Steven start? I don't think I know this story. Well. Actually, we, uh, I've known of him for years. I mean, not just through the Springsteen thing, but right. I grew up in Jersey um, for those like formative high school years. Yeah. Uh, his cousin and, and I went to school together. I actually had a crush on his cousin and my brother played in a band with his other cousin, the male cousin. I had the crush on the female cousin. Um, not that and, there's anything uh, wrong with that. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. You know, clarifying. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, my friend Damon Lowe was his name, the bass player, and his sister Lisa. Uh, they, Damon used to always talk about, you know, because he was the bass player. He was, oh, my cousin Steve, my cousin Miami, Miami Steve, they called him back then. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, one day I'm going to get to meet this guy. I know he plays with Springsteen, Springsteen's huge. And I wasn't really a Bruce fan back then. But, uh, you know, in recent decades, I've you know, this is my, interesting. I want to talk to you about that too, because neither was I. But we'll, we'll, yeah, as my as my you know songwriting um, uh, respect for songwriters has gone up uh, in, in you know high estimation over the years because I've realized how hard it is to write great songs. Um, you know, which you've written quite a few great songs. Thank you. But you know, back in high school, I was playing in cover bands. We were playing you know, Aerosmith and Zeppelin and, you know, it was all about the music and the look and the, you know, the vibe and, you know, guys like Springsteen or Dylan or the band who like dressed like normal people were like, eh, kind of boring. But, you know, of course, they were the, the real writers, you know. Okay, so I have to ask you, because I know you took your son to see Bruce just yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I took Samantha to see him a few years ago and it changed my relationship with my feelings about Bruce completely and Samantha's. So, um, so Z is very cool. And so what did he think of the, did he, was he a Bruce fan before he went? Well, you know, I, I made a, uh, a Bruce playlist on my phone and I would play it in the car when I'd be driving around. And um, at one point he started, you know, singing 10th Avenue Freeze on. I'm like, how do you know this song? He's like, oh man, I know it. I'm like, you know, this kid listens to all his friends' music, which is like, you know, Justin Bieber and, uh, you know, uh, what's the, I took him to see this 
guy's show, the Canadian. Like, well, Harry Styles. Is he like Harry Styles? Well, he Styles. likes Harry Styles. Yeah. I, can, I always forget this guy's name. He's he's really great. Anyway. Yeah. He listens to that modern sort of you know. Yeah. Dance music. Yeah. And whatever. Um, and uh, but you know he has a real appreciation. I mean he wrote a lot of songs when he was younger. You know like when he was like seven and eight, we were doing a lot of demos of his original songs. And um, I thought we were gonna make an album before when he, you know, before he was, he's 14 now. Uh, I thought we were gonna make an album, but then he sort of veered off of the songwriting thing into musical theater. And he's been uh, starring in, he's starred in five shows already uh, in a local community theater, which is really well done up here um, where I live in the Bronx. And, um, you know, it's off, 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 off Broadway. It's a children's theater, but uh, you know, he really has the talent for acting and dancing and singing. And so, you know, he kind of puts them all together in the in the show. But maybe he'll come back to writing someday. But he really uh, like Bruce. He said it was the greatest concert I've ever seen in my life. Now, granted, he's only seen two or three. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's seen the guy whose name I can't remember. Um, I'm a panda night. I'm a hundred thousand miles from Japan tonight. What's this guy's name? Oh, it gets you off my mind. Um, stitches. I've been needing stitches. Oh, come on. Oh God, I don't know. Somebody out there, tell us who who yeah, who, stitches. Can, can is can anyone chat live on this? Oh yeah, they're they're. I'm watching the comments right now. So, but they're, they're not kids. They're, Come on, get hip, baby. Okay, everybody, tell, look it up, Tony. Who Who's singing Stitches? I have to Google it? Hold on. No, it's Tony, will, Tony will tell me who did Stitches. Sean Mendez, hello. Oh, thank you, okay. And he is actually really talented dude. So that was the first show I took him to. And um, the role of behind us was 12 year old girls. So what is that like for you? All right, I want to talk what it was like to take him to Bruce, but what is it like for you when you take him to the, because I took my kids to those shows when it's all the screaming girls uh, and you can't hear anything. You can't hear any music. I, I heard it. it was, you heard it? Uh, right. but it, they weren't, it wasn't Beatlemania level, you know? Okay. But um, I took them to the I, Jonas I, Brothers. There was no hearing any songs. It was all uh, yeah, screaming yeah. craziness. Kind of liked them for a minute, and he kind of liked uh, Justin Bieber for a minute. But um, I told them when the girls were screaming, I said, "Pay attention. What's going on behind you? See, we got to get those songs recorded." Kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, what 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 kind of musical theater has he done? What what parts oh, has he, he done? He starred in Aladdin. He's been wow. Aladdin. He's been uh, uh, the uh, the jerk in Beauty and the Beast. What's his name? Uh, Not Gaston's the good guy, but yeah, I know who oh, you Gaston's mean. Oh, Gaston's the bad. Gaston oh, the is bad Gaston guy? the bad guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was the yeah. a hole, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Me, I'm God's gift. You know. Oh. <laughs> well, that was his first like bad guy role, but he's played Prince Eric in Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's been in uh, like. Five, five shows. I think he's starred, had the starring role in at least three of the five. This is fabulous. So does he want to do like audition for yeah. music oh, yeah. and art or it's yeah, not Broadway. performing arts anymore? Well, uh, yeah, we're not sending him to one of those schools, but yeah. you know, when the time comes. 
you know, we got to crack the whip and get him educated. And, uh, you know, then we'll, uh, we'll deal with the extra, so many extracurriculars. I don't have to tell you, you know, between soccer and theater and everything else that you got to do with your kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Full time. I barely have time to write a song anymore. (laughs) And so, and so, yeah, being a parent is a full-time gig. So when he, so there he was at Bruce and, and you, and, and little Steven is, and I know you took him backstage and did that whole trip. Um, yeah, we only saw Steven, but that was fine. We just said hi. You know. But once the music starts and Bruce starts doing his thing, he, he, he got it. He appreciated it. Oh yeah. It. Well, he already, like I said, in the car, you know, he sing along to Born to Run and 10th Avenue Freeze Out and Probably by the 10th time I played it, Rosalita, uh, Born in the USA. Um, he said his favorite song is I'm on Fire. <laughs> so, uh, and does and, he? And I told him my favorite Bruce song is Candy's Room. <laughs> so uh, he was like, I love that song. I was like, That's a weird one, my favorite. So now I know your boys have sang on your, or at least your oldest has. I think they both have sang on your stuff. Have they both sang on yes. your stuff? And uh, they're both singing on my new out, my new record too. And um, so, do they appreciate what you do? Do they get it? Do they appreciate it? Do they think, oh, you're just dad, or do yeah, they well, get I'm, it? You know, I'm dad, but you know, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the jerk who tells them they got to turn their iPads off. You know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just normal to them, you know. Uh, I was thinking about this today, actually. Like, you know, maybe someday some kids are gonna go, "Wow, what was it like to sing on your father's record?" They're gonna like, "It's just dad. I went in his studio in his office, <laughs> like in my apartment. This this studio. Um, I have another studio in Manhattan where I can make noise with big amps and drums. But this is my like my little right. Really messy. I'm, I apologize about all the." Flutter here, but uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's a New York apartment. It's a Bronx apartment. Hello. Um, but you know, they just walk in from the kitchen and <laughs> come into my studio, and the mic's over here. You know, I set it up for them, put them headphones on them. Okay, go. And they do it. And it's like, it's not a big deal. They're used, totally used to it. And they've, and sung, on they... people, they've sung on other people's records too. No, like who? Well, Zaya sang on Michael Monroe's record, Horns and Halos, that I wrote a lot of the songs for when he was three. What? He sang on a song called Child of the Revolution. Um, yeah, just a small part, but he's on it. And uh, both of them sang on uh, Bronx Cheer. Baz does the bit where he goes, Dad, Dad, come play with me. At the beginning of my song, Dog Days of Summer. And then Zaya actually sings on Recovery Doll. Mbap, shabap. And they and both, either, and they, they, both act, they both actually sing on the new album. They actually sing on the new album. And That's and do either of them play an instrument? Do they play an instrument? Um Baz wants to play drums, but you know, we live in an apartment. Right. right. Um why don't we get you piano lessons first, you know? Maybe someday we'll live in a house and you know you can have drums, but we can't have drums here. Unless I buy him an electric drum kit, electronic. How, and how do you feel about that? Oh, I love it if they want to, you know. No, I mean, how do you feel about him learning on an electric drum kit? Oh, um, it's not the ultimate, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think 
you know, kids that play with computers and phones and iPads and stuff, uh, they're probably so used to like messing around with electronics. They'll probably spend half the time like, oh, listen to this sound, you know, and, and not like actually playing the, the right. things he needs to play. So I'd much rather have him playing a real drum kit and a real piano for that matter, except that, you know, we got to get a piano up uh, all these flights of stairs and probably into the window. And so we'll just get an electric, you know, right. sample. And that'll be fine. Didn't you start on drums? I was a drummer, yeah. Because of Ringo. Because of Ringo. Because of Ringo and Revolver. I heard Revolver when I was six, and that was it. Have you have you gotten to uh, have you ever gotten to tell him that? No, I. You know, we're on, we're on that track together on Mark Rivera's album, but we never met. You know, because the way people record these days, you know, you can record in different studios. Right. Actually, we recorded the music in New York, and then I don't know where Ringo did his drums, but next thing I knew, Mark was like, hey, that song you played on, uh, I got somebody you're going to really be happy about playing drums. So I was like, oh, Ringo, this is my man. You know, it's amazing how many people were have that feeling about Ringo. Do you know Luis Conti? Who I know you're not related to, but who spells it the same. So Luis, his they play with you know, Tower of Power and tons of people. He played. He's been playing with James Taylor for years. He's on the road. That's where I met him. And his hero is Ringo. He, he said before he dies, he wants to play with Paul and Ringo. Those are like the two people he's never been on stage with, and that's what he wants to do. <laughs> true. I don't know so, how it's going to happen. My buddy Brian Ray plays with Paul, you know. Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, I've gotten to meet Ringo in recent uh, time, and uh, I'm just going to say uh, that I see him now and again. Well, we've so had just... close, we've had close brushes, but uh, because uh, Billy Squire, who I played with, yes, know, Billy was playing with Ringo, and Billy put me on the guest list for the show, and when they played at the Art Center in in uh, Homedale, New Jersey, and uh, we went and we went out in the back of the. Um, you know, behind the stage, and Billy came out and said hello, and I was like, and? Yep, yeah, and? <laughs> it's great, Billy, I know you, I've met you and played with you and played on your records and played on your tours, great. Love you, thank you for inviting me. But how about the big guy? <laughs> and the big guy never came out. But, um, and there was one time when a Company of Wolves, my band, and we were doing our debut for Mercury, and we were in the studio in LA in um, Cherokee. And uh, I think, I don't, I don't think it's there anymore, or maybe it moved, it used to be on uh, Fairfax. And uh, Ringo was in there. And we had uh, worked through the night, and we all crashed and went home. And the producer crashed on the couch there in the studio, and he said he woke up, and Ringo was there in the studio, and he said, Hey, man, come on, I want to play you this band I'm working with and he played Ringo the songs and Ringo was like very nice very nice and and we only heard this later when we got to back to the studio we came back like noon we rolled out of bed and got to the studio like two and he's like you never guess who was here listening to your music and I was like asshole what? <laughs> what's up I would have I would have like been down here in five seconds you know but all good well you never know one day I hope yeah, you never know. That's 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 a great one. And you've gotten to play and not only meet, but play with a lot of your heroes. So um, 
is true. The, is the, true. I mean, okay, so I know that the first album you bought, the first concert you went to, you tell it. Oh, you want me to tell it? Tell, 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 tell a version of it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I love you know you like so me. Weird on this I, I do. Everything I, is everything I, is backwards. <laughs> so you know you go to cut. You go to like fix one side of your hair and you're fixing. I know. You're it's up the, the other. other side. It's the other side. It's, uh, <laughs> vanity. Um. So yeah, the first. Uh, well, when I started playing guitar, you know, I was playing out of the boring, you know, read along books. They were horrible. Yeah. And, Soon as uh, I figured out how to play Johnny Be Good, you know. Um, so how did you do that, Steve? Did, did, you, me, did, you, you know, did you have an ear? Yeah, but I was also, uh, I was taking lessons from somebody who was making me read out of books. And uh, and then I was like, all right, I'm sick of that. I want to, if I have to read out of books, I also want to take a lesson with somebody who, you know, I'm, I'm a kid, I'm 12, 13. Right. Take a lesson with somebody who can like, show me how to play real songs, you know? Right. And so we'd read out of the book for a little bit. This guy named Bobby Nolan from uh, Red Bank. I was taking guitar lessons at Red Bank Music. And um, one day he just showed me uh, um, probably not even that precise. And I probably played it even less precise than that. But once I learned it, that I was just the kind of kid who you couldn't get the guitar out of my hands. Like sometimes I have to like try and coerce my kids into like practicing or playing or doing something. My mom would call me for dinner, you know, and I would, you know, I'd be in my bedroom or I'd take the guitar to the bathroom. The guitar never left my hands. And I figured out every way you could play everything on the neck. And I just taught myself, you know, to play rock and roll pretty much after I learned that. And, um, that's kind of the basis of everything and then um and then my dad took me to see uh i found out chuck berry was going to play at madison square garden in like this 50s review kind of thing with the shirelles and the dixie cubs i don't know a whole bunch of like 50s artists and uh, but we went mainly for chuck um right and uh yeah that was age 13 probably the year after i learned how to play the solo I, mean, I don't know the answer to this. Was your dad? I know. I know about your mom. We'll talk about Rosemary. But was your dad musical? Uh, he was a huge jazz fan. Um, he had all the records, all the records we had in the house: the Miles Davis, the Charlie Parker, the Frank Sinatra, the Tony Bennett, Ella Fitzgerald, Wes Montgomery. You know, great jazz stuff, classical. I mean, all the records we had. He got in the Navy. He was a, a Navy guy. But he appreciated and rock and roll from the get go. It's not rock and roll, mm. not rock and roll at all. That's why, you know, it took me till, you know, I appreciated all kinds of jazz and classical. And that's all I heard from birth till age six. Mm -hmm. A couple that my parents knew that were kind of young and hip, as opposed to the, the jazz, the jazzers that my parents were. I mean, <laughs> they were hip in a way, but, you know, not, not hip to rock and roll. I mean, you know, they came out of... Uh, the swing era, you know? Right. Um, anyway, this couple came over and they brought Revolver, the new Beatles album, and they put it on and that was it. I was just hypnotized. I would stare at that cover, you know, with the, the line drawings and uh, 
trying to figure out who's who and oh look at this little guy the cover was so interesting and the you know and the sounds i'd listen to it with headphones on i'd hear the stuff panning back and forth like psychedelic stuff and it was like wow what is this i have to do this at six so yeah tony and gina gaetano that was their name i'll never forget them so your mom rosemary an incredible jazz singer herself uh i imagine there was always music going on in the house and and your brother and john is an incredible bass player so you guys were born into this right um music happened to you early were, were you playing drums right away did you guys start playing music right away were you very young um so after i heard revolver the next year um i started getting drums my father got a partial drum kit from a friend of his he got a snare a couple of cymbals and a hi-hat and you know i just started practicing rudiments and taking drum lessons in school and um I was the little drummer boy in the school play. You know? <laughs> I should be the little drummer boy. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't have a full drum kit, though, until we moved. We left. We were living in Buffalo at the time, um, way up there. And then did you uh, take lessons on the drums or did you just? Yeah, yeah. so I was oh, taking, yeah. uh -huh. well, so I was uh -huh. taking yeah. uh, like basically snare drum rudiments, you know, like marching band kind of when you're seven, you know, and you don't have a kit, you know, you, you just start with the basics. And um, I had a practice pad, a little rubber, little rubber pad, and everything. Right. And um, then when we moved, we moved to Jersey. Um, I got a full kit. Uh, he filled out the kit. He just got a, a bass drum and a tom tom. So then I had a snare, bass, tom tom, no floor tom yet, and cymbals. And later I added. So I had all these different color drums. I had black pearl <laughs> bass and uh, kick and tom. I had a gray pearl. Ludwig snare, white pearl, Ludwig floor tom. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, by the time I got that whole kit, I, I could, you know, play John Bonham stuff, you know, and I was doing triplets. And and then um, my brother, you know, John was playing guitar. John was the guitar player. And I picked up his guitar one day and I started writing songs. I was like, wow, I, I can write songs. I, I can't be playing drums and get stuck back there by the drums. I thought I when, when, when did you what, were you singing when you were back there? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, we had a band and I would sing from the drums. We made our first album in my family living room when I was 11 and John was 10. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. We uh, whoever was playing the drums, well, they couldn't sing lead from there, but whoever was playing the drums obviously couldn't sing on the on the recording. But we take, you know, we had this little tape recorders with a little plastic mic that had a cable, you know. <laughs> and uh, we would like set that up across the room. And whoever was singing had to like sing right into the mic and get the guitar up there. And then you could hear the drums coming in from behind. I have these recordings. I still have them. Wow. Fact, one of the songs ended up on my album Linoleum. Do you remember that Crown Jewels? Album? Yeah, I do. The song Peace. It's the last <laughs> song. It's like 30 seconds long. Um, Do you remember how it goes? I was going to say, play it for us. If you're in bed listening to this song, you can be sure nothing's going to go wrong. If there's peace on earth, peace, peace on earth, peace. 
Compositions. <laughs> so, so you figured out that you could write songs. So, therefore, you had to play guitar. So, how did you shift direct? So, you shifted to guitar. Did you just bump? Did that just bump John to bass? What? Well, um, I started. He was taking guitar lessons from this person and uh, this girl, um, Debbie Morielli. Her name was. She's friends with me on Facebook. I hope she's watching right now. Debbie Fami, her name is now. Uh, she was teaching my brother guitar, and I said, "Well, I want to take guitar lessons too." And so I started taking guitar lessons. In in like, he had been taking for like a year or two, and in like a month, I shot past him, and I guess he was like, "I'll switch to bass," I guess. <laughs> and it was the best thing that he ever did because he's a he's a great bass player, natural bass player. Yeah, you know, I mean. You know, different uh, personalities are, are made for different instruments. I mean, you know, not. And so, had you, what'd you much. guys do for a drummer? You you had the guitar and the bass. What'd you do for oh, a drummer? We both play drums. So we, we both play drums, so we would switch off if we had to. I mean, but we, what about if you were going to do a gig? Oh well, I mean, when it came time for that, we had other drummers. Mm -hmm. And our brother Jeff became a drummer much later in life, unfortunately. Uh, so we never really got to play professionally with him. We jammed, but uh, he's a good drummer. But uh, you know, he never—I guess he never saw it as a, a an option for you know to make a living. You know? mm -hmm. If if you call what I'm doing making a living. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, so before we keep going down the old stuff, because we've talked about it before, I want to make sure we talk about what's going on in your life now, because there's a lot going on in your life now. You've yeah. been, how long have you been with Michael, with Michael Monroe? You've been years. Well, it's been 13 years. And how did that relationship start? Well, that came out of the dolls because uh, Sammy Yaffa was the bass player in the dolls after mm -hmm. First, we had Arthur Killer Kane, of course, from the <laughs> band, or, you know, I joined them. Um, and he did the, the first two gigs and then got sick. My brother uh, came in at the 11th hour and did our third gig, opening for Morrissey at, for 80,000 people at uh, Manchester Football Stadium. Wow. And um, David asked, uh, you know, my brother if he wanted to join the band, but he had other commitments. He was playing with Roseanne Cash and, you know, because other stuff going on. And so he said no. So we started auditioning uh, players. And and how long had you been with the Dolls at that point? Uh, I had done the three gigs. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. This okay. was 2004. We did, uh, we got together in May and rehearsed, went to England, did Royal Festival Hall in June, came back in July and did the Manchester thing. How, how did you get the dolls? How did you get? How did you connect with David? David Johansson got my name from uh, a bunch of different guitar players in town. He asked Jimmy Vivino. He asked mm -hmm. Larry Saltzman, uh, 
people that he know, knew and respected and played with, and they all mm -hmm. told him, the only guy is Conti. Don't call anybody else. Wow. So he called, and uh, we got together and had lunch, and uh, yeah, they told him he's got the he's got the right guitars, the right amps, the right nose, the right hair. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because you know, as people used to say, uh, look at that guy. He's a Johnny wannabe, like Thunders. Like mm -hmm. I was never a Johnny Thunders fan, and you know, I can't help my uh, my genetics and my heritage. So sorry. <laughs> Another big nose Italian guitar player with big hair. <clears throat> um, yeah, so David called me up. We had lunch and uh, we didn't ever even play a note of music. And he said, what do you think? You want to do this gig? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. You're kidding. That was it. That was my audition, lunch. <laughs> wow. And then, uh, yeah. So Some then, things are just meant to be, I guess. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was great because how many legendary you know, New York rock and roll bands, can you just step into? Yeah, not there are none. none. Yeah, there are none. none. That, that's yeah. it. Yeah. New York is the only one. I mean, who else is there from New York? I mean, that are, you know, legendary. Mountain, Long Island. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Rascals from Long Island or wherever they're from. You know what I mean? Like rock and roll bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a great, uh, run of six years and four Tony's hours. Tony's writing Kiss, but, uh, they didn't have an yeah, opening. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Queens, but the dolls were from the outer Kiss all, uh, Tony also said that, that Billy introduced her to Ringo during that tour and she got two kisses in Seattle. Uh, who, what? Billy introduced Tony to Ringo on that same tour. Hey, I don't know which Billy and Tony we're talking about here. Billy Squire, Tony oh. Vincent um, introduced Tony. Did you know Tony, photographer from New York? Anyway, so uh, she was uh, married to Mitch. Um, anyway, um, she got a kiss from Ringo on in Seattle on that tour. She wanted she she wrote in the thing, but never mind. So um, yes. Okay. So and and Gigi uh, Shapiro was saying hello to you. And, oh hi, Gigi. And uh, so okay, so yes, walking into that gig is crazy. So walking into that gig was great. Um, you know, we did the the two studio albums, two live albums, and um, and then uh, it started sort of petering out. It felt like like the work wasn't happening and we were supposed to change management and we were supposed to change booking agents and it wasn't happening fast enough and I just had a kid mm. and uh you know Sammy had started playing with his old pal Michael from Hanoi Rocks again uh, well I sort of skipped the part where we auditioned a bunch of bass players and Sammy came in and he was perfect and Sylvain knew him and so it was like a match made in heaven it was a done deal mm -hmm. uh so Sammy started playing with us a month later uh, that was 2004. By August, Sammy was in the band. That's two months after we played our first shows. And, uh, you know, so by 2009, I guess we made the second Dolls album. We made the first album in 2006, second one 2009. And then by 2010, it was sort of, you know, Sammy had started playing with Michael and uh, they needed a guitar player. And he said, you know, you want to come and do this little tour with us. And I was like, I need to work. Yeah, let's go. 
So I went and um, it worked out well. They offered me the gig and I was like, I'll do both. I'll do the dolls and Michael and for as long as I can. And Sammy was the same way. And uh, as it turned out, both bands uh, had booked studios to do their next albums on the same day. Ouch. In September of 2010, we're like, we had a, we were, we weren't really speaking to the dolls management and stuff at that point. You know, I was like in Europe the whole summer working with Michael and hanging out with my family. And, um, and I didn't know what was going on over here. And, uh, we had made this, these plans to make this record with Michael. And then the dolls manager calls up and goes, okay, guys, so uh, we're going to make this new record. I'm like, new record. What are you talking about? What are, what are the songs? We had been writing songs together for the last two albums. He's like, mm-hmm. they still have all the songs written. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't mind. I'll, I'll play their songs. You know, I don't have to be a songwriter with them. But of course, that was part of the attraction for me in, in the first place. But um, I said, okay, well, when is it? And they're like, September 10th. I went, you're kidding. <laughs> we, we just, in England. And I said, well, we're coming to Los Angeles to do the Michael record September 10th. So we can't do it. And uh, so then they got other people and that was the end. And I just kind of went from the dolls right into Michael. And 13 years later, here I am. So I guess it's worked out well for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's especially great because, uh, you know, I always wanted to live in Europe and I moved to Europe for three years when we first started playing together. And my wife went back to school where she's from in the Netherlands. And, uh, and I just, you know, flew back and forth to Finland and did the gigs with Michael. And we toured also in Japan and England and, you know, and I was European. And, uh, you were European. And, I still <laughs> and, and so what's, what's life like now? So now you're living in the Bronx. You've got kids. You obviously can't just pick up and live in Europe when you want to live in Europe. I, we I, do. But uh, anyway, that's what I was going to say is it's worked out well because every year, as soon as, you know, school's out, we all head over to, I go to Finland to play at the festivals and my wife and kids go to, visit their grandma and their cousins in the Netherlands. And wh- whenever I'm not playing in Finland, I fly over and, and hang out with them. So it's been like 13 summers like that. Wow. So it's been really perfect. That's excellent. And so how much of your time are you, how much of your year are you over in Europe? Uh, it's just the summer months. The summer? I mean, and you know, of course, if we have a tour in November, we do, you know, two weeks and, Spain or three weeks in Finland or a couple of gigs in Japan. We try and, you know, put a bunch of stuff together so that it's more affordable to fly us all because we're an expensive band. We have Rich, the other guitar player, lives in Toronto. I live in Bronx. Sammy lives in Spain sometimes and in Finland. Michael lives in Finland and Carl, the drummer, lives in Sweden and Spain. Either or. So... You know, we're all flying in and we converge in some city and we start the tour. And then since we're all there, then we move from, you know, Spain to England and then England to Japan. And when it's all done, we go home, disperse. And so what's life like when you're home, Uh, Mr. Rock and Roller? 
Madness. Daddy. <laughs> Mr. Rock and Roller Daddy. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a constant, never a dull moment, put it that way. Um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, during COVID, my job became chauffeur, you know, because we weren't taking the subway because of COVID and crazy people, the crime went up over here and it was like all kinds of nuts. Really? They firing guns and with knives and exposing themselves and really kids dealing with that on the subway. So I drove them every day to school and I picked them up every day. And that was my, my gig when I was home. Mm -hmm. While well, we didn't tour with Michael for almost two years or, or anything. I did one gig. I, I released that Bronx Cheer album mm -hmm. in 2021. I did one show on that album. Wow. Waste because it's a great album and uh, I never got to tour on it really. Um, I did one show at the Cutting Room in fall of 2021. Wow. And um, yeah, but I'm going to put a new band together uh, for this record, uh, which we'll get to shortly talking about. Yes, we are. Um, and uh, yeah, so life has been like, uh, I think now, you know, the subways are safer and COVID has sort of gone down. And so there'll be, I kind of have my life back. I can sleep late and roll into my studio at, you know, 10 a.m. Which is Are your boys getting more independent too? Because they're a little oh, yeah. older now. Yeah. yeah. They're older. They can like, the older one can make himself breakfast at least. That's a good thing. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about how this record came to be. So Andy Partridge, somebody that you... Oh, idol worship. You know, um, since 1982, when I was in college, um, I discovered XTC. I was listening to my college radio station, WRSU at Rutgers, and the DJ was one Matt Pinfield. Matt Pinfield, who you may know from MTV 120 Minutes, he was the DJ at my at my college, and uh, he played uh, a song called "Melt the Guns" from English Settlement album, which came out in '82. Yeah, '82, and um, I was just like, "What is this?" And I hung by the radio till he announced it, and I ran down to the record store and bought the record, and uh, then proceeded to buy every XTC record and every B-side and every bootleg. And, you know, he's Andy uh, is up there with Lennon and McCartney and Costello and Townsend and Waits and Westerberg. And he's one of the world's world-class songwriters, one of the greatest ever, without a doubt. And why he's working with me, I have no idea. <laughs> How did you guys connect? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, he obviously likes something about me. I'm very grateful. Uh, yes. We, uh, we connected through um, actually his, uh, this guy who was building guitars for him was my guitar repairman. He told me he was building a guitar for him. And I was like, you're kidding me. You have to please give him the album that me and my brother just did. It was when we did the Conti's Bleed Together. It was 2003. Uh-huh. And he gave Andy that record. And uh word came back through my friend Dennis Fano was his name. He made a he had a guitar company called Fano Guitars. Um it's like, yeah, Andy really liked your record. But that's where it ended. Um he never got in touch and never 
you know, he had a label at that point. He never offered to, you know, sign us or anything, but mm -hmm. uh, I was just happy that he heard it. And then years later, uh, when I was playing with the dolls and became friends with Steve Lillywhite, producer who, uh, who's produced, you know, the Stones, U2, Johnny Thunders, actually, and Dave Matthews. Uh, he produced two of my favorite XTC records, Black Sea and Drums and Wires. And we were chatting on Twitter one day, me and Steve having a little back and forth. And the subject of Andy Partridge came up and Steve's like, oh, you know, Andy's on Twitter. Let's rope him into this conversation. And all of a sudden the Andy's were chatting three way on Twitter in public. And Andy's like, you're in the dolls. Oh my God. Uh, I wanted to be in the New York Dolls when I was a kid, and I sent David Johansson this letter and you know a photo and said I'm your man and you know all this stuff and I want to be uh, my stage name is Lord Andrew English <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not telling he's out of school. This is a yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so he tells me all this and we're chatting. Then we started like maybe having private chats. I don't remember, but. It came out that I was going to play in his town of Swindon, which no one ever plays or goes to Swindon, England. It's uh, from what I understand, it's kind of the joke of England. It's kind of like where, where is it? I just was in England. Where, where, where is it? Below London somewhere. OK, but it's sort of like, uh, you know, Slough in the office, the English office. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like uh, under Mifflin, you know, like which way out in you know, the boonies of Pennsylvania or wherever. Right, right. Sort of like uh, a town like that. I mean, the guys say it. I'm not bad-mouthing the town. I've, right. Once and it seemed perfectly lovely to me. But uh, the XTC guys used to say that no one took them seriously because they were from Swindon, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Andy wrote to me. He says, I, I hear that you're playing in my shithole of a town. And he's like, I'll buy you lunch. And I'm like, what? Wow. So we go, we play, uh, we're on tour with Alice Cooper, with Michael. We're opening for Alice Cooper. We do the uh, sound check in the afternoon, in the morning or whatever. Um, oh no, what happened? No, they picked me up in the morning. I went mm -hmm. and had lunch, hung out with Andy and his uh, engineer pal, Stu Rowe, all day and um, played guitars listened to music, listened to some of his stuff, jammed a little bit, watched funny videos on YouTube. We just had a blast and just laughed. And it was clear we were enjoying each other's company. And, um, and then I went back and played the gig with Michael and jumped on stage with Alice Cooper and did Schools Out. One of the greatest days. Pretty good day. <laughs> Second only to, which I left out of my Chuck Berry story before you know, I, I said I played with Chuck Berry. Uh, I mean, I um, saw Chuck Berry play when I was 13. Right. Whatever, 15 years later, I got to play a whole show with Chuck Berry on stage. And you have to give us the, the abridged version to that story because it's a great story. But you didn't read my piece in the LA Weekly? I, I, I did not, but I, you've told the story to me. Um, I have not read your piece, but I've heard you tell the story. It's a great story. On, your and on our last interview, let, let's spare the people. But anyway, Well, just, very, just tell a really short a very, version. A very short story, and then I'll come back to uh, um, the Andy Partridge thing. Yes. Uh, I'm... Um, so... 
the Meadowlands racetrack. They have a bugler. Guy, right? But he's really a jazz trumpet player and he plays with my mom. And we've done gigs together, right? So whenever Chuck Berry plays, he hires a pickup band. And the right. promoter of the show puts the band together for him, right? Or chooses the musicians. Or at least one of them, and then the musician puts a band together. So this bugler, trumpet player, Frankie Rendell, knows that Chuck's coming and he knows what a huge fan me and my brother are. So he calls me up because you guys want to be Chuck's band. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so um, he picks Chuck up from the airport that night and we, we got my blues band, the Hudson River Rats to do it. And uh, he picks Chuck up from the airport and Chuck goes, uh, who's my band tonight? He, uh, Frankie goes, oh, it's great band, Chuck, Conti Brothers, Steve and John, John's a bass player, Steve plays guitar. He goes, guitar? <laughs> don't use no other guitar player. And Frankie's like, no, no, Chuck, don't, don't worry about it. Steve's, Steve's really good. He can lay back. Well, I'm going to give him one song. If he ain't having a problem off the stage. And they tell me this before we go on, right? So then Chuck comes backstage. We're all there. We're like, do the sound check. We're hanging out backstage, waiting for Chuck to come. He comes back and it's, so good to be you're such a huge fans and, and he's like gives us instructions you know like bass player watch my you know neck of my guitar if i make a move that's what i want you to play drummer watch my foot for the endings and he goes and listen to the lyrics if it wasn't for the lyrics we'd be playing the same song all night long <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> the first three songs, first three songs we play i way back i mean i'm playing my telecaster you know he's got his 335 and massive you know dual showman fender amps that are like this tall and i got my little you know twin or whatever and uh i'm laying way back and uh like fourth song I, we did a bunch of chuck classics to start with and the fourth song he calls a slow blues it hurts me too you know uh play it things go wrong go wrong with you it hurts me too jimmy reed he plays that song and when it comes to the middle he goes take a solo points to me i'm like three songs ago i was worried about getting thrown off the stage and here's Trek berry getting me a solo on his show i'm like okay so i play a solo and chuck goes can the man play the man can play take another one He's another song. Like, all right. Then we come out and we do uh, a bunch of Chuck Berry songs. We do like Oh Carol. We do uh, Reeling and Rocking. We do, you know, I'm like in heaven. You know, I've known these songs since I was 12, you know. And uh, does the same thing. Another slow blues. Take a solo. Can the man play? Take another one. The crowd, you know. Should we give him another one? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and we do a couple more Chuck songs, and then he starts Johnny Be Good, and he plays the first riff. He goes, and his high E string pops, flies right off the guitar, so he can only go. He can't go. So he kind of fumbles through the intro riff, and I'm like, what's going to happen when he gets to the solo in the middle? Because that is the iconic solo of all time in right my, my mind not only my mind but in everyone else's mind who plays guitar and i'm thinking 
what's he gonna do? I better be ready. And sure enough, he goes, uh, Johnny, be good. Points to me. And there I go. playing the beginning solo but anyway he uh <laughs> gives me that solo and then after the after the song he goes he hands me his guitar and he goes change my string i'm like okay mr barry <laughs> give me your guitar so he takes my telecaster which is like tiny <laughs> and the strap of course is like you know <laughs> he puts it on it's like up here yeah, but i had this whole thing on film by the way i have the video you do? Get out of here. Yeah, I've never released it. Um, Why not? I'll get around to it one day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I have photos too. But, wow. uh, so he puts my guitar on. It's like, you know, violin up to his neck. <laughs> and 10 minutes on tuning my perfectly tuned guitar. Um, <laughs> and it's so big. And uh, I tune up his guitar perfectly. I come out there, it's hanging down by my knees, you know. <laughs> and uh, after that, we switch, and he spends another 10 minutes untuning his guitar that I just <laughs> and, um And that was the gig. And then, you know, um, at the end, you know, he, he did his thing where he has, like, all the kids come up on stage and dance for whatever the last song was. Maybe it's Real and Rockin' or Live in the USA, I can't remember. And then... Uh, we turn, you know, we're, the band is still playing. Chuck waves goodbye, throws his guitar in the case. We're still playing. Turn around, we see him. He's already in the parking lot with his guitar wow. case. Wow. Never got to say goodbye or thanks or didn't bring any albums for him to sign or anything. But uh, wow, wow. That was, that was the greatest musical night of my life. I was going to say, you have There's this incredible more memory. There's I even can't... more to the story, but I don't want to get too bogged down in the details. It'll you, come I, out of my book someday. I, I, I know. Well, you've been threatening this book for a long time. But I, I really do think you got to. Why aren't you releasing this? Are you waiting for the. I guess you're waiting for the book to come out to release the video because they would be quite a that would there's be quite no, a companion piece. There's no, there's no master plan like that. I'm not. That would be quite a companion. Not a marketing piece, genius. You know? <laughs> that would be quite a marketing I, nightmare, actually. I would uh, really. So, what did who filmed it? Your mother filmed it. Like who filmed it and on what? My my friend Katie Mack. Yeah, I know Katie Mack. Know Katie. She knew there was this dude in the audience. I don't know his name. Um, she knew the guy who filmed it, and he sent her the videotape, and she gave it to me. And wow. then I got digitized onto a, a dat or a um, DVD, and uh, it's sitting in my drawer. Wow! And is it decent? I mean, you know, yeah. I've wow. shown it to. Uh, I brought it out on the road. I showed the dolls and- uh, That's fantastic. You know, I think I showed it on the Billy Squire tour bus once too. All right, well, while we're doing your greatest hits, we have to touch on Paul Simon because that's another crazy story in a part of your career. That's crazy. All right, let's get back to Andy Partridge for a minute. All right, let's talk about Andy Partridge first. Let's talk about Andy Any, any Whoever's watching, any XTC fans out there? 
Yes, as a matter of fact, Anne 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 was just saying that you know she's a huge XTC fan. Um, and I mean, they made so. some of the greatest records of all time to me. You know, they're right up there with any Beatles record, any Stones record, any and Tony's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're quirky. They're beautiful. They're weird. They're Rocking. Can you play anything for us of theirs? Uh, I haven't actually learned. Um, wow. What, let's see. I could just play a, a piece of something. Uh, yeah, yeah. A piece yeah. is good. And it goes to a beautiful bridge, and uh, but that when I heard that song, it's on Skylarking from 1986 that Todd Rundgren produced, who I actually got to work with with the Dolls. He produced our last New York Dolls album. Wow! And I've been a huge Todd fan since you know high school. Utopia, Solo Todd, Something Anything, Hermit and Mink Hollow, mm. all those Utopia records. Um, so it was great getting to work with Todd, and uh, Todd produced. That record Skylarking and when that I heard that song I remember I was in my brother's car we had it on cassette and it starts outside two of the cassette we sat there in the car for 45 minutes and we just kept rewinding that song. oh I love it. 10 15 times in a row we couldn't believe it you have to hear this record because it's like everything about it it's not just the beautiful chords and the great lyrics and the it's the sounds it's the production it's everything and uh i actually got that drummer prairie prince who plays on that record from the tubes um he plays on the whole skylarking record and he plays in todd's band and and the tubes and he played in the car the new cars with todd incredible drummer i got him to play on my new record so he, that's him playing wow. on record fourth of july and he plays on seven tracks on this al- new album. Wow. Wow. Okay, so go back to Andy. So how did the collaboration start? So I, you had uh, lunch. Okay, so we, we had lunch. I went back. I played the show with Alice. We did Schools Out. It was the <laughs> second best day of my, li- <laughs> day of my life. And, uh, and then what happened? Oh. So this was probably 2015, right? Mm-hmm. So then COVID happened. I mean, we, me and Andy would email each other every once in a while and just check in, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, we were fond of each other. Yes. And, um, yeah, I, I think we really just got along on a personal you know, level. Um, and he, 
you know, every time I put out a new record, I'd send him the record and he'd give me these amazing quotes, which I was like, he can't just be saying this to be nice. You know, he's a busy guy and super talented. He must really like the stuff. So I'm honored, you know? So uh, I called him in like early 2020 and, or no, early 2022. And I said, um, Andy, I'm, getting ready to do another single for Wicked Cool Records. I said, would you like to write it with me? And I had been hearing all these interviews with him. I've been watching like all these YouTube things and uh, he had, he put out this record called My Failed Songwriting Career. Because huh. he was writing songs for so, with so many different people. He got some songs on the Monkees album. Wow. With the Monkees, uh, Little Steven was playing it. And, mm -hmm. That's one that actually came out, but he wrote a bunch of songs with other well-known artists and maybe up and coming artists. And they would, in the end, they would never release the songs. Wow. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm soured on songwriting. I'm not writing songs with anyone anymore. I heard him say in these interviews and I was like, I'm gonna change his mind. And so, so I, I uh, approached him and I said, Andy, would you like to write my next Wicked Cool Records single with me? And he's like, well, I sort of swore off writing with other people, Steve, but it's not a no. And I was like, okay, well, I'll check back with you. You know, I'll give you some time to think about it. And so I immediately, I went, yes, it's not a no. <laughs> you know? and I went straight to my, my recording studio and, and I whipped up this very kind of beatle XTC track and I thought, let me, uh, you know, strings and gorgeous, you know, beatly chords and stuff. And I thought, let me show Andy, you know, what I'm capable of doing here at home. And maybe this will, you know, excite him into writing with me. So I sent it to him. And he's like, oh, yes, yeah, Steve, this is great, but uh, it's nearly finished. I mean, I, I can't add anything to this. He goes, we should just start something from the ground up. And I went, we should do a Zoom. I went, twist my arm, man. And so uh, we did a two hour Zoom and we wrote four songs. Wow. And uh, they were very uh, arty, um, I think. Like kind of in the XTC almost. Uh, I brought one that was a, a little bit Todd Rundgren-ish, maybe a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, or Steely Danish, you know, just very smart pop, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, and I finished the demo, we, I'd do the demos and, you know, he didn't play or sing anything on it, but we would write back and forth like these lyrics. We basically, we didn't finish the songs, but we came up with four really good ideas the first day. And then we went away and I added a bridge here or there and added an intro and I added a second verse. And, and then I'd send him the demo and he'd go, you got to change that and oh that's really good and maybe we should go here on the end and we'd go back and forth with demos like that until we were both like happy with the songs and then i sent the four demos to wicked cool and i got the feeling that they were maybe a little too arty for underground garage radio mm -hmm. uh, so i wrote them back i said andy maybe we should put on our um, you know i'm not sure that any of these are going to go for the single I love them, they'll maybe work for the album, but uh, uh, we should put on our Dukes of Stratosphere hat. Do you know what the <laughs> Dukes of Stratosphere are? 
No. So that was a side project that XTC did where they <laughs> a psychedelic 60s band. Yeah. They all get themselves like uh, pseudonyms and uh, Sir John Johns and like all kinds of <laughs> And it was like really beatly psychedelic. Uh, you know, I said, let's put on our Duke's hats and like do some real garagey, you know, 60s. And then we came up with four more songs on the next Zoom. And Fourth of July was one that I brought in. I had had that chorus sitting around for 20 years. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, there's some, uh, you know, to me, a good song is a good song, whether it's 20 years old or not. You know, I, I don't write those kind of songs that are flavor of the moment, you know, like, and if I remember a, a song idea from 20 years ago, there must be something about it. So, you know, Norman Lear has a box of two big boxes of show ideas, very much like what you're saying. And he goes back into that box and he pulls out gems that never got. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pulling notebooks out of my drawer all day. This is this is one, two, three, four, five. This is only six of them. Oops. Um, yeah, I probably have 20 or 30 books. And I mean, look at this. You know how many of these I've got? Wow. I mean, 90 minute cassettes full of ideas. You know, if I never wrote another song again, I could go through this and make. Wow. 20 albums, you know? Wow. But I keep writing new stuff, so. <laughs> Which is great. But so, yeah, so Fourth of July was one of the ones. Um, it, I had this great hook laying around that I always wanted to finish. And I thought, I just never had a verse that I liked. So that if anybody can do this, it's Andy Partridge. And he just knew exactly where to go for the verse. And he came up with that great guitar line. And, and we wrote the lyrics together. You know, I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind playing it again, because you played it at the top of the show before we really talked about it. And now it would have a whole different meaning. Really? Every, come on, guys. No, really, because I'd like to hear it again now that we've talked about it. I just play the record? No, no, play it. Really? God. Play it. Play it. How much am I being paid for this? Yeah. <laughs> big, big bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. I make the big bucks, folks. Um, so let me see. How many people actually want to hear this again? Any Everybody. Oh, love. The, the love is going up. The love, love is, is going is there up. Hearts coming up. Okay. Hearts are coming up. Dropping flowers in your sky I've levitated Above the crowds You are the rainbow slicing Through their thunder clouds Fourth of July Fourth of July 
I mean, I loved it before. I loved it the first time I heard it. I loved it when you played it at the top of the show. But now that you've told the story, it feels really different. So so what was the part that you came in with? I came in with Fourth of July. Okay. Fourth of July. And what did Andy bring to it? That's all I had. Okay. They said, I'm liberated. I'm soaring high. And then I said, Oh, let's go to F. Because I like that chord. And I added these. I like those kind of weird chords. And I knew he would like them too. Because we like the same stuff. We like John Lennon. You know. Uh, so yeah, and then he came up with the which I had wanted to play on 12 string on the record, electric 12, but um, my 12 string didn't sound so good on it, so I like played it in octaves on two different electric guitars, and it, people think it's a 12 string. It's very cool to hear how this came together. So, it, it was he as enamored with it as you are. I assume so. I uh, he says he is. <laughs> and so how it. many of the other songs? Okay, so now the album, I assume, is not finished because it's not coming out till 2024? Um, I am in the final stages of mixing. Um, I think I have two tiny things to fix on two songs, and then it's done. And how well, many five, of the songs that you collaborated with Andy on are going to be on the album? Five. It's wow. a 10-song album. He's written half with wow. half of it with me, and the other half are just my songs. And, and I, so I've picked, I've picked songs that go, I've picked songs of mine that go with the songs we wrote together. So that's how I usually make an album. Like, I, uh, I have the reason to make the album, like the handful of songs, like these are the core, and then I have to find the other ones to sprinkle around it to make it make sense. You know what I mean? 
I'm, and I, I, I really, wish, I, I really wish I was the kind of guy who could go write ten brand new songs and go record them, but I have never worked that way. And do you have a title for the new album? Yes, but I can't say it yet. Okay. Okay. I, 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 it has to be a big reveal, you know. I love that. And so, do you have an approximate time of 2024 that you that it's going to drop? Just before the summer. So and are you planning to drop another single before the album comes yes. out? Uh, in fact, I just got my next single mastered. It's not going to be on vinyl. Oh, by the way, um, the Fourth of July is not only um, you know a single on which you can get on digital and everything, but it's also a vinyl wow. single. Look at that. All right, and we're going to tell us now all the ways that people can get your music, and that's very cool. <laughs> love it. Vinyl single. Gotta love that. And it's on cloudy blue vinyl. Cloudy blue vinyl. Um, so, and so the next thing... Yeah, you can get it through my Bandcamp page. Okay. Is that get, yeah, actually, what usually what used to happen is Wicked Cool Records would get. It, it's a limited edition. There are only three hundred of these singles pressed. Wow. So, um, are you I, signing them before you're sending them out? Yes. So on my Bandcamp page, um, yeah, I don't sell them unsigned. Oh, beautiful. Look at that. And this is on Anne Lepore's shopping list. I know that. <laughs> I don't yes. believe Anne has ordered a, a single from me because I. I well, I have a feeling that she will be. I, she's been very supportive and I appreciate her. And Anne loves you. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So my next single um, has just been uh, mastered. And it's done. Um, I have the artwork for it, but it's just going to be digital and only a digital single. Mm -hmm. But it should be hitting the uh, underground garage airwaves. And just says, yes, I will be ordering. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so, so October. are you going to gig in support of it? Are you going to start? Are you gigging? What's what, what are you doing? What, what's going to be here? Well, I just came back from a summer tour. And right. I'm my number one goal. I, I can only do so many things at once. Right. You know, I'm like getting the kids back at school. I'm yeah. Thing I'm mastering. I'm doing artwork and so. But my next, as soon as this stuff is off my plate, new band. Um, and Gigi's asking um, who the band members are for this new. Who who played on the new album? And then we'll talk about the new band. Um, I don't have a new band yet. Right, but I know you don't have a new band on the, yet. On the album, it's the core for seven of the songs mm -hmm. is myself on guitars, vocals, my brother John on bass, Barry Prince on drums. Wow. And um, then for two of the songs, it's Tommy Price on drums. You know Tommy, Tommy Price? I remember Tommy Price. Yep, so Tommy from you know, Joan Jett, Billy Idol, mm -hmm. Bill, so many great hit records. He's on two two tracks, and Brian Delaney from New York Dolls is on one. So that's 10 songs. And uh, rounding it out, I have uh, Rob Schwimmer on keyboards on a few songs, who's a genius. Uh, Andrew Hollander, who co-produced it with me um, from afar. So I gave him uh, sort of uh, 
remote production credit. Mm -hmm. He's been very helpful. He's been like my second set of ears. I go, what do you think of this? And they'll go, yeah, it's great. Or no, I changed that. But um, he plays keyboards on some of it. And I have Chris Anderson from the Jukes, Sussex mm -hmm. on trumpet. Um, who else? That might be. Am I forgetting anything? Yeah, I play keyboards. I arrange the strings on a lot of stuff. I didn't know you play keyboards. This is something I have never seen or did not know. Oh, look. I yeah. did not know I, that. I play enough to write and uh, enough to, uh, you know, to program. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't get on stage and play piano because I wouldn't be able to concentrate singing. I'm not that good. Do you uh do you have a dream band in mind? Do you have people in mind that you um no because no. it has to be people I can afford. Yeah. You know, I mean it's very expensive to have a band and uh, yes. You know, if I want to have a band that just plays, you know, one show in New York uh every 6 months, mm -hmm. sure I can hire you know the top guys but I want to have my band, you know, like guys who are going to be with me or girls um, who can, you know, I want to go out and do a week in the Midwest, you know, like, so it's tricky, you know, because- uh, is, that, is that your hope to do that? To, to get out on the road and take this, this oh, album on the road? I would love to, I'd love to, you know. Um, and it's, it's always challenging because, you know, the, uh, the Michael, thing has been um, my bread and butter part of it, you know, um, you know, as a musician these days, you have to have multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I do my own gigs here, whatever, whenever the phone rings and, you know, I'm doing a gig with Ricky Bird for a charity next month. And uh, I'm doing I know about that gig. My friend Lauren Gold is on that gig yeah, also. That's right. that's right. I remember you told me about him. Um, I'm doing a gig with uh, Crispin from the Uptown Horns. You know, mm -hmm. I did like, private parties and whatever mm -hmm. with good players. And um, and then is there still a club scene in New York? I don't even know anymore. I have no idea. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, once in a while I played the Cutting Room and those kind of places. But um, yeah, you know, I just try and get my songs licensed to film and TV and all kinds of other stuff. You know, and you know, it all kind of works together to where I can pay the rent. <laughs> but uh, I have to think about, um, you know, I've always had power trios because it's the cheapest form of band. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been writing music that you could easily pull off with the power trio, guitar, bass, drums. But there's so many keyboards and um, samples of, uh, you know, strings and stuff on this record that I might need a keyboard player. And, um, I want people who sing and, uh, you know, who have, who are enthusiastic and have energy and aren't just like, how much does it pay? You know, because. I assume your brother's too busy to put, with John. Yeah, he is yeah. super busy. And my uh, drummer, uh, Phil, who's been in the past bunch of bands with me, The Crazy Truth, Phil Stewart, he's super busy too and playing tons of jazz gigs and, so I kind of want to find some new people who I haven't worked with before, or maybe somebody who I have known, have worked with, but 
who I don't realize would like to play in a band with me. So it sounds great. Well, yeah. Steve, I um, as I said on all the copy, and I say out loud all the time, you really have uh, in my top voices of all time. Uh, I just love hearing you sing. I love hearing you play. I, I think you're an incredible songwriter. Um, all of your coolest songs of the world are cool songs. And um, I, I love see, seeing you getting your due. I love that little Steven is championing you. And I hope it turns into the big bucks so you don't have to be sweating any of this stuff. Um, you know what? I love my life. And, uh, you know, if it never gets any big, bigger bucks than this, I'm cool with it because I'm doing what I want. You know? I love that. Like if I had to like record for some big label and they were like, well, you know, we don't hear a single man and you know, you gotta do what's on the radio. You know, I'd just be like, I'm out of here, man. I do uh, you know, I write the kind of songs I want, I want to write that I'm, it's natural for me. I write, you know, I make the kind of records that I want to make. And um, that's success to me. And, you, uh, you have plenty of that. And you have a beautiful family. Um, have a beautiful family, and you know I get to travel and play my guitar, and you know it's all good. And we forgot to talk about Paul Simon, but maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's a short story. Well, it could go. Tell, no, well, just, just, just give the gist because it's it's amazing, actually. Well, it's it's amazing because one of the first records that was. Uh, Okay, folks, we're going to go on for maybe 10 more minutes, okay? Okay. You'll be excused. Um, one of the first records that was in my house before the Beatles records, no, what year did bookends come out? Late 60s, 68 maybe. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, bookends. Had, uh, I think Mrs. Robinson was on it and... Um, was Scarborough Affair on that? I don't know, anyway. Oh, uh, that's an earlier yeah. one. Okay. But, you know, I've been hearing Simon and Garfunkel mm -hmm. on the radio, and and then Mrs. Robinson, you know, came out, and there was so many great songs on that record. At the at the zoo, America is on there. Mm -hmm. You know, let us be lovers, we we'll marry our fortunes together. Um. So you know, I grew up loving Simon and Garfunkel along with the Beatles and Dylan, and you know, great songs. And at one point. Uh, I had, me and Brother John had our band, The Crown Jewels. We had Mark Stewart uh, play cello on a, on a song. And then he played on the next Conti's record, Lead Together, he played some crazy, weird in homemade instruments. And we, he has a band called Polygraph Lounge. It's a really amazing duo with Rob Schwimmer, the keyboard player I told you about, who's on my record. Um, Anyway, both of those guys ended up playing with Simon and Garfunkel and Mark mm -hmm. ended up playing with Paul Simon. And Mark called me up one day. He was like, hey, uh, I'm going to put your name in for this gig. Paul has been having a rehearsal singer come in and, you know, when he doesn't want to sing or when he can't sing, if he wants to save his voice or if he has to, or he wants to sometimes just sit back and listen to the band and hear the song being sung. He flies this guy in from Chicago all the time and 
you know, it's getting expensive. So I, I told him, I know a guy here in the city that could do it, and, and that's you. And I'm like, really? Me, Paul Simon? Me, rock voice? Paul Simon. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, I have a sing really soft. And uh, <laughs> so there was no audition. I just, he took- Wet. Again, no audition with you. He took Mark's word. Yeah, this is the thing about, you know, it's the old, uh, you hang around this crazy town long enough and, and get a good reputation. You know, people just take other respected musicians' word for it, you know? And uh, I had a conversation with Paul's brother, Eddie, who was managing him at the time, and we agreed on, you know, what the terms were, and, okay, see you Monday at SIR. And uh, I showed up there, and they had sent me, like, the entire Paul Simon catalog of, oh, of CDs and, like, music books sheet music with lyrics and everything and i would set up in this off to the side it would be the huge band it would be his african band you know the pagidi on bass from graceland and vincent the guinea rest his soul amazing cameroon guitar player uh tony cedrus and, and steve gadd on drums oh and, god you know jamie haddad on percussion steve Shaw, horns and ridiculous band mark stewart the guy i mentioned who brought me in on guitar cello mandolin uh, all kinds of stuff just a crazy musical band and i would set off up to the off to the side with a music stand a mic and like all these books you know of, of music and you know i'd sit there for most of the time and paul would go, he was rehearsing for a new album uh tour you're the one. Do you remember that album from 2001 or 2000 that came out? Really great album. Um, and he was rehearsing the band that had been the band on the album, and he hadn't played it live, so we did like eight-hour rehearsals every day. Oh my wow! Five days a week, and a lot of times I just sat there the whole day, like I guess I'm not going to sing today. And then, you know, the last minute I go, ah, Steve, uh, bridge over trouble water. You take it. I'm like. Song I know from when I'm 10 years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, people had told me, oh, Paul's a real taskmaster, man. He's really tough. And, you know, you, you might hate yourself, feel terrible about yourself when you leave there. And, you know, nothing of the sort. He was wow. complimentary to me and, like, you know, gave me props in front of the whole band sometimes, like, great singing, Steve. You know, and he, I'd see him in the bathroom and go, like, <laughs> this is the guy they were saying was so tough you know, i mean i know i saw him be tough on people but he was not he was very complimentary to me and uh i mean so you know if i didn't get something he go no 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 it's got to be you know and uh, oh okay now i get it but uh you know i had the sheet music and i don't really read so well like sight read but I could follow along and see the shape of the, the melody and and I already knew it because I had like I would just walk around you know it was a cassette Walkman back in those days right thousands or maybe a CD Walkman and uh, you know I'd just play the songs over and over in my head until you know I had to learn God it's probably eighty songs or something you know that like if you wanted to pull one out I had to know it right right so. Uh, yeah, 
that, that was the gig. And then did um, you did you ever get to uh, did you ever get to sing? No, not on stage. No, it was only I was his warm up um, for for the tours, and uh, so they did that 2000 tour. Then he called me back for the Simon and Garfunkel reunion tour, and I got to sing with him and Art, which was amazing. Some days Art wouldn't show up, and we'd do Scarborough Fair, and it would be Simon and Conti. Wow. You know? Or uh, or we'd do a Sound of Silence. Wow. And, and Paul wouldn't show up that day, so it would be Conti and Garfunkel. And uh, Well, you know, I didn't so even know. I saw it. I was at that con I, I saw that concert, but I, I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah, and uh, the one with the Everly Brothers? I saw, well, no, I saw their reunion in Central Park, whatever oh, year that years. was. That was, this was years later. Oh, uh, this is 2003. Oh, yeah, I saw and, them uh, years they before had this that. Special, uh, special guests were the Everly Brothers in the middle wow. of the show. And I went out to the, um, the first show they had was in Pennsylvania. And I went out to the arena with them to be there and check the, the mics if Paul didn't want to sing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Don and Phil Everly came in, and we were sit standing in a circle singing Wake Up Little Susie. Oh, and stop! Oh, my God! Yeah, incredible. <laughs> incredible. Um, and, so uh, that was that number three best uh, show business? Uh, yeah, that's up there. <laughs> and playing the dolls at Royal Festival Hall is, is up there, too. But those are probably like top five, you know? That might be number three. It's definitely Chuck and, and Andy and, and Alice and yeah, uh, whatever. Chuck is number one. The rest kind of, you know, gets yeah. but uh, Simon and Garfunkel was a great experience. And it was also a great band, different band. It was Jim Keltner on drums, mm. you know, Palladino on bass. So, you know, I got to work with these guys and sing with them and play. I even played guitar a couple times when the Larry Salzman, the guitar player, couldn't make it. And um, and then in 2008, uh, do you remember when Paul did the Cape Man show off Broadway? Sure. Off Broadway, right? uh -huh. It kind of bombed, but the music was really great. He did a uh, review of the, the songs. The song is called Songs from the Cape Man. Mm -hmm. And he did a week at BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Mm -hmm. And uh, he asked me to be one of the singers and sing his songs solo. Wow. And play guitar. So I was in Paul's show, uh, Songs from the Cape Man, playing and singing two songs from that show with Spanish Harlem Orchestra, which is a uh, mm -hmm. great salsa band and um, a bunch of incredible performers. And um, That's amazing. And yeah. So that's the one time I actually worked with Paul and like on stage. And I don't think Paul was, was he in it? I can't remember, but, but he was there for every moment of it. I'm now sneezing and coughing and having an allergy attack. Um, All right, well, <laughs> have you had the COVID? The COVID, yes, I've had the COVID. You have, was it bad? I, I got it. Um, in 2022, I got it in March of 2022. So you had the Omicron and, and uh, was it yeah. not too bad for you? Um, I was down for about 10 days. I was in Finland, unfortunately. We had to cancel really? half the 
tour. And uh, yeah, we had made a video and, and all of a sudden the next day I was like, oh man, I feel like a truck ran over me. And a day later I was like pounding in my head and I took a test and like, guys, we got to cancel the, the dates, you know, I got COVID. So that kind of sucked because, you know, you're paying for hotel rooms and you're not making any money, you're spending money. So, but Did the uh, rest of the band get it? I think one other guy got it. Yeah. Mm. Next player, Sammy got it. Um, but knock wood, I haven't had it since. Good. Good. Well, Steve, thank you so much for doing this. It's always great to see you, to catch up with you. Please send my love to your mom and to John. And and uh, and they were asking me how to get the single. And I put your Bandcamp link up on here. And I'll put it in the liner notes so everybody can get your music. Yeah, or, hey, just go to steveconti.com. There's links there to everything. Links okay. To well, which, which one, which link do you prefer? I put up the Bandcamp one because you said it. Which one do you prefer I use? Doesn't matter. I mean, the okay. you know, steveconti.com has a okay. whole bunch of other stuff too. So if you, they want to go straight to the music, they can go to Bandcamp. But there's okay. a link, link to the Bandcamp on my website front page right there. Also links to you know SoundCloud and Facebook and Twitter. Right. Well, good luck with all this new music. I can't wait to hear the new album, whatever it's called. Yes. And uh, you'll have to come back when it's revealed very soon. You'll have to come back when it comes out and uh, give us a give us a taste. Yeah, but uh, keep your ears open for the next single. Okay, when is that coming out? Uh, It's coming out. uh, If my memory serves and if uh, I haven't missed my release date, October 6th. Okay, great. That's soon. Um, Yeah, it's pretty soon. Okay, wonderful. Well, best of everything to you, Steve. I love you. Good to see you. Thanks for doing it. Take care. Thanks, everybody. See ya.